Well, if you have your Bible, can you turn to Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4 is what we'll be looking at for the sermon this morning. Luke chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Of course they did. Jesus is impressive. Impressive. At his very presence, demons start declaring who he is. They know emphatically who he is. And they listen to his word immediately. They know he can speak and do with them as he wishes. His very word is reality. And they know it. It's here in this particular passage that we have the first exposure to Jesus' power. We've been going through the book of Luke, and we've seen Jesus anticipated. We've seen him show up on the scene. He goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by the evil one, and he overcomes. And then he goes into the synagogue, and he declares his mission before them, saying he's come to set the captives free. And then we see him do something for the first time that clearly demonstrates his power clearly demonstrates who he is. However, to fully appreciate what Jesus is doing here, we need to understand. We need to understand the state of a sinner outside of Christ. We need to understand the state of this person that he delivers. Not only this person that he delivers in this case, but all those outside of Christ. Every person has a particular relationship to the devil and demons. They might not understand it, but let's listen to what Scripture says. Scripture says something particular about the relationship of people who are outside of Christ in this world. And it's pretty fascinating, actually. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, The unregenerate, the unconverted sinners of the world are the children of Satan. Ephesians 2 says that they are children of disobedience who are under the power of the prince of the air. They are under the control of the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4 says the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Colossians 1 and verse 13 says that all sinners are in the domain of darkness. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. 
And in Acts 26, 18, when Paul is giving his testimony, he says he preached the gospel in order to turn people from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God. Clearly, Scripture does not equivocate when it comes to this, does it? Where do people lie outside of Christ? Where are they? They're not neutral. They're under the dominion. They're under the rule. They're under the governance of the evil one. In a sense, he's theirs. The Bible also talks about them, the devil being their father. Scripture clearly teaches that people outside of Christ are under the dominion and rule of Satan. And so if Jesus, if Jesus is going to deliver, as he says he's come to do, from their spiritual bondage, from their spiritual blindness, from their spiritual oppression, if he is going to set captives free, what must he be able to do? He has to be able to conquer the devil and his demons. He has to. Jesus said just prior to this in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, that he would preach the gospel to the broken and humbled. He said he was going to set the captives free, that he was going to give sight to the blind, to proclaim liberty to the oppressed. So if Jesus is going to do what he said he came to do, he has to be able to conquer Satan and his demons. Otherwise, they remain his captives. The devil and his demons are rule and govern over them. And in some cases, like we see here, possess them. You know, growing up, I loved Bruce Lee movies. And the reason I love them is because here's the skinny little guy. He'd be minding his own business, and someone weaker, like the elderly or a woman or something, some bad guys would come along and start doing harm to somebody who couldn't really defend themselves. And here's this little guy, stands up confidently, and just annihilates about 20 of them. And they just keep multiplying somehow. It's just like, when he's done, it's over. But you know, and, and it's, I just, I loved his ability. It, it, sure, it was the movies. And I was young, but I ate up every bit of it. Guys flying. I just, I thought this guy was unreal. But you know what? He's nothing like Jesus. Because what Jesus, what we're going to discover here is fascinating, is that Jesus only has to speak to send demons flying. He doesn't have to lift a finger. His word is powerful. Now, I just want to say something else as a preamble. Talking a bit about this whole subject of demons and, and their rule and governance and all that sometimes can weird people out. It's like, okay, here he goes, talking about demons. Wow. Whenever you talk about something you cannot see, touch, feel, hear, smell, and you claim them to be reality, some people, they get uncomfortable. Because, you know, I'm talking about his governance, his rulership, and it's just like, okay, um, it does say that, but we live in a different time, a different age. 
But you know what? The reason we cannot see, touch, smell, hear, feel demons is because we do not have access to spiritual, the spiritual reality. We are flesh and blood, and God has limited us. So God, who is spirit in the, in the spiritual realm, is cut off from us. We don't see it. But it's a lot like a, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist because we can't physically see, touch, smell, hear. Our senses aren't aware of it. It's kind of like the wind. No one here is going to argue that the wind doesn't exist, hopefully. However... You don't see the wind, actually. What you see are the effects of the wind. If you, if you know that it's windy and you were to look out that window, what you're looking for, you're going to look at trees. You're going to look at grass. You're going to look at bushes. You're going to look at things that can show you signs, right, of whether or not it's windy. You, you, didn't, you don't go outside and you don't look for wind, do you? You look for the effects of the wind. In like manner, demons aren't seen because you're not allowed to see it. They're in a different realm, kind of like the molecular realm that we don't see unless we've got special instruments. They're in a different realm. However, we see their effects continually. We see evil in the world. We know what it's even like to be tempted. We know what it's like to be accused. We know what it's, we know what it's like to have... Thoughts that are out of this world. Where did that come from? We know what it's like to see evil in the world and evil be perpetrated in the world. And who's behind all that? The evil one is behind all that. But we also, we have, we can, depending on what kind of circles we grow up in, we might not like to talk so much about demons and people, oh yeah, they're, yeah, we start talking about demons, you're going to come demon crazy, find one behind every, every rock and chair, there they are, demons, you know, because that happens as well. And then, so certain Christians like to emphasize us, our flesh, the problem is us. And it's true. We have a problem, and we have a particular problem because of our flesh. But that doesn't mean there's also not the whole dimension of demons and devils. We have to have an understanding of both and. And the fact that we have our flesh and the fact that there are devils, and they, and they often work together, should help us to understand how it is we're to live in this world and what's really, truly going on. Because I think as Christians, as we will see, if we don't understand, we're easily duped, easily deceived, and find ourselves unable to stand against the wiles and the schemes of the evil one. C.S. Lewis once wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence, The other is to believe and feel an an unhealthy interest in them. End quote. And that's truly what it is. There has to be balance here. We have to understand. And from our passage this morning, we're going to learn more about Jesus and his power than we are about demons. But we have to understand, it's not mythical. We're not talking about fairy some weird fairy world that, uh, oh, yeah, you Christians talk about in your, uh, these demons and this goofiness. I mean, what are you talking about? Well, we're, we need to understand 
it, it is real, and it is a reality that we can't see, but it exists as well as the wind exists. On the other hand, we need to understand something more importantly, and this is what we're going to see. Jesus has ultimate authority. Because without the knowledge of that truth and understanding Jesus in, in relationship to them, we, are, we often can times misunderstand and pervert how we view and see the whole demonic world. Because we have to be well-equipped because we're susceptible to schemes, to the devil's schemes. And we could find ourselves not experiencing the freedom of Christ. So, to begin with, we have to know that Jesus' presence commands demons' respect and fear. His presence alone. Look at verse 33 of what we read this morning. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This demon understands who's in his presence, gets it immediately. Now, if you ever wonder about Jesus and his impact on the world, his presence, his very presence, his very being, how, what it's doing even in, in the whole spiritual realm, just read that again and look at what happens. Nobody else really recognizes who this person is. But this demon says, Ha, I know who you are. Almost like, hey, wait a second. Hey, hey. The Holy One of God. And he's concerned immediately, what are you doing here? Because he asks, have you come to destroy us? His very presence shows up and, and he's like, uh-oh. He knows what Jesus is obviously here to do. Somehow he gets, what's fascinating about this is like, have you ever asked yourself the question, where did they, what is going on in the demonic realm where they have this information, they know something's up, it's like they spot him. Hey, that's who it is. I, 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 I figured it out. I know who he is. And now they, they're concerned. The next question is, have what, like, they're wondering why he's here. Have you come to destroy us? Obviously, they're anticipating this or thinking about this or wondering about this because they, see, they tend to ask this question a lot. Just look at, look at what happens. They recognize him, and Jesus is like, Shh, tells him to be quiet. Because they know who he is once they see him, and, and, and it's, it's quite fascinating. Down in verse 41, the same chapter, and, G, and demons sorry, also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. But what did he do? It says, but he rebuked them, and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. He would say, be quiet. They recognize him. He shows up, and they see who it is. In Mark chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, it states, Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. 
We also have in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 29. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, Jesus shows up. Nobody could pass this way because these were fierce. They'd rip people apart. What do you have to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Wild stuff. Jesus' very presence, they're seeing something, and I don't know what they're seeing or they know, but they know he, he shows up and they recognize him. And they're filled with fear. They're filled with awe. They're filled with you know, terror. His very presence. Now, it's important to understand here, even you read that passage, they fall down. They're not falling down. They're not worshiping him. They don't serve Jesus. They're not, they're not in love with him in any way. They hate him. They're terrified of him, though. Terrified. His very presence scares them, and they wonder, what are you doing here? Is this the last? Is this it? Have, we, have, have you come to destroy us? What's fascinating is they can see. They get it. it this is to imagine for a moment if you knew, say there was a guy in this world who was king of the world. There was a king. He's a king of everything. Ruler of it all. And you knew this king. You had, a, you had a fairly close connection in the sense that you knew who he was. You knew what he looked like. You knew how he walked. You knew how he talked. You knew his inflection. You knew you know, that weird little birthmark he had on his forehead. You knew all the little nuances about him. You knew him fairly well. And all of a sudden, you were off in Africa somewhere, and he, he shows up in this village and he's cloaked. He's wearing the kind of their clothes. He's dressing like them. He's, he's trying to disguise himself. And, and the more you watch and listen and look, you're staring. You go, wait a second. Wait a second. That, that's, that's the king. What's he doing here? That's him. And you run up to him, and the whole reason he's, what he's doing there, he doesn't want everybody else to know the reason why he's dressed the way he is and doing what he's doing. He doesn't want everybody to know who he is. And you, you could easily blow his cover. You have to wait. Hey, you're, you're, you're the king. He's like, shh. It's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He has come to earth. He, people don't get it. He's in their synagogues, and they're like, man, this is a pretty impressive man. He's healing people, speaks with authority. Look at him. Who is this guy? He's, it, it, they don't know. People, people don't see, and, and, and they're like astounded by this man and what he's doing, but they're still scratching their heads. And the demons get it right now, right away. Son of God, what are you doing here? Shh. You're going to blow the cover. His very presence, he shows up, and the whole demonic realm and world is, is, is even in a buzz. <laughs> Whoa, what? They don't know what's going down, and they think it's their very end. That's impressive. Let me just say that. It's an impressive thing that we can read and miss, the very fact that Jesus comes, God in flesh. He's in flesh, and people don't recognize him because he's so cloaked. And we do not, we, we can't see We can't see for looking. We don't understand who he is. And we're scratching our heads trying to wonder who he is. And the demons get it immediately. I wonder what they saw. 
if they could, I don't know if, because they don't, the flesh part, they can't, they wouldn't be able to recognize. Because he's, he's, he would look just like another person. But they're seeing something everybody else can't see. Now that part, it makes me wonder. But nonetheless, talk about chutzpah. Talk about gravitas. Talk about walking into a room and having power. The demonic world, they become fearful at his presence. Now, it's even greater than that, though. That His presence is one thing. Now watch what happens. Jesus' word, his very word, causes demons to flee and release their captives. Look at verse 30, uh, 35. In verse 30, well, actually, if you bump up to verse 32, one of the things that blew these people away was that his word, Jesus' word, possessed authority. In the end of verse 32, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now, you want to see the kind of authority it possessed? Then jump down to verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. I don't think he yelled. I don't think he had to say, Be silent, come out of him, or anything like that. He was, Be silent, come out of him. <laughs> it, it, he doesn't have to. He could have whispered, psh, I got, psh, Quiet, get out of him. And it, it would have been done. It, his authority was not in the in the strength of his voice. It was in the very fact that when Jesus speaks, demons jump. They listen. They have to. Because look what happens. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. He says, come out of him. And he comes out of him. Jesus' word is powerful. But... As humans, our words have power as well. We have power to hurt with our words. We have power to heal, to bless, to curse, to build up, to tear down, etc., etc. But it's very limited. Nonetheless, our words do have power. And why do they have power? Why has God given words power? So that you can hear words and they can have such an effect on you. Because we're image bearers of God. But we're finite creatures, Made And it's very, very limited. So our words have effect. Our words have power. But very limited. But we're still bearing the image of God. However, when God speaks, think of this for a moment. When God speaks, he can create whatever he wants. He can say a word and create worlds. He can say a word and create galaxies. He can say a word and create humans. He can say a word and create DNA structures. So God has to be careful what he says. You just let that, just think about that. God speaks and it happens. His words have such incredible power that he upholds the universe, the cosmos, with his word. He created it all with his word. Jump. And everything jumps. (laughs) 
at his word. Incredible power. Good thing God is perfect in his wisdom, goodness, and love. Just be thankful. Because it would be worse than giving a two-year-old a shotgun. Here's a lot of power, and let's give it to you. And the two-year-old starts, everyone's scrambling. It's it's a terrifying thought. You never give too much power to someone who doesn't have the maturity or responsibility, or it could mean trouble. We see that all the time. That's why we put... We say, okay, you can't drive until you're a certain age because that, even at that age, it can be dangerous. Just be thankful that God is so incredibly good, so incredibly wise, so incredibly loving. Because with that much power, all he has to do is speak. You know, we don't have really any idea how powerful the words of Jesus are here. Because we can talk about it. I can try to give analogies and examples. But it's beyond even your own understanding or explanation. That's why when the disciples see that Jesus can speak to creation and it does exactly what he says, they're freaked out. Could you imagine, okay, we're in the midst of a storm, right? And we're about ready to die. The power that you just got next to when you saw this person say, peace, be still. (laughs) Wind. Waves. Clouds. Everything just obeys the word. Boom. That would freak anybody out. It says they were filled with fear because they had no idea who was in the boat. Even though they were getting it, they didn't really get it. And even though they understood he had power, that's freaky power. That's scary. If you can speak to creation and it leaps, it jumps, immediately obeys you, what does that say? That says... Serious, serious power. You know, it's, it's kind of, as a side note, it cracks me up sometimes because of how scientists will often talk about God and, and they act so arrogant and smart and, and talk about, for an example, uh, they'll say that, you know, well, we can tell that, you know, a star is this far away, and for a star's light to reach Earth, Earth it would take several billion years. Therefore, the Earth, ha- you know, is billions of years old because this, isn't, this is what it would take. Yeah, if he wasn't God, and he couldn't just say light, and there is light. The only reason that works is God doesn't submit to some law of science. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's right. That's the only way I can function. Yeah, that's right. Light only travels at a certain speed. And, oh, man, I'm bound by that. Ah. No, it's like, okay, if whatever is could be made instantaneously, what does he have to do? Speak. Because you look at the creed, you go to Genesis 1, and what did he do? God said, right? Let there be light. And what was there? Light, it says. 
Hmm, interesting. God said, let there be stars in the heavens. Guess what? Stars in the heavens. Hmm, what else? God said, let there be dry land. And guess what? There's dry land. And why? Because he's God. And when he speaks, the power is beyond your comprehension. And we just have to be thankful that he's good. Thankful that he's wise. Thankful that he's not trigger happy. The demons are thankful as well. Because when Jesus says, out, guess what? They're out. Now, we have to understand, folks, Jesus is powerful. And demons, if you ever fear a demon, you're crazy. Because the one to fear is the one who says, jump, and they jump. The one who says, stop, and they stop. The one who says, come out, and they come out. This authority, this power, should be comforting to anybody who belongs to Jesus. Anybody who's in Jesus. Because what Jesus came to do is set captives free. The the world was under the sway, the power of the evil one. He has created captives, and the whole world is under his power, is under his dominion, under his rule. So if Jesus says, I've come to set the captives free... He must bind the strong men, right? He must take them out. He must remove them from his power. And that is what Jesus came to do. This is just one particular demonstration to show them to understand Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And one of the most deceptive things demons and the devil will try to do is make you think, try to make you believe that he's king, that he's Lord, that he has power over you. He doesn't. Because when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And when he's talking about that freedom, part of the freedom is from this rule, dominion, and power of the evil one. That's what he's referring to. Part of it. The evil one had a definite power to over the, and ruled over the minds and hearts. of and It still does to this day of all those who are outside of Christ. All those who are not in Christ. And he does have a particular power over them, but as soon as anybody cries out to Jesus and turns to Jesus, they're free from him. Because Jesus came to dismantle his power. Jesus said, I will build my church, right? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because they can't. I've destroyed him. I've bound the strong man. I've taken him out. Now, that language of binding, taking him out you know, removing his rule and governance and all that. It's not ultimate so that you have no struggle anymore. As Christians, we all have a struggle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says this, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against 
the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What is that saying? Understand something. The devil is no longer your father. He's no longer your governor. He's no longer your ruler. You've been freed from him. We are in Christ. But that does not mean that you don't wage war against him, that you don't struggle against him, that he's not scheming and dreaming up ways to attack you. See, he still still hates you. He still wants to destroy you. He's still interested in tempting you. He's still interested in accusing you. He's still interested in going after you. And this is why we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We will battle against the evil one. We'll battle against demons, but we are the victors as long as we remain in Christ and understand how it is we win. You know, many Christians are stumbling along in their Christian life because they have believed the enemy's lies. They have fallen to his temptations and they're living under his accusations. Mostly because they don't understand who they are in Christ. He is an incredible, crafty deceiver very good at it, can spin a lie like nobody and can make you believe things that are are not true. And what are we called to do? Christians, we're called to put armor, the armor of God on, so we'd be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. But yet many find themselves ensnared, wounded, and greatly beat up. Now, here's the thing. How can you tell? How can I tell? Well, there's a few things we can do. There's a question or questions we need to ask ourselves. Ask yourself this question. Am I living in the freedom and joy that is mine in Christ? Are you living in the freedom and joy that is yours in Christ? Or do you live in fear, in anxiety, in turmoil, in doubt, in confusion, in shame, and in guilt? That's a great question. Ask yourself, because I don't know what's going on inside, but you do. Do you think that it'd be impossible for God to forgive you for what you've done? Things maybe said, thought, did. Do you ever, do you struggle with God accepting you? Do you have crazy thoughts that come into your head and you go, I must be the most evil person in the world to have had that thought just come in my head? That's a crafty one, isn't it? I'm telling you what, the enemy can mess with you if you don't understand his schemes. And if you don't understand who you are in Christ, you're very susceptible. Because if you even look at the book of Ephesians, how it's put together, the first thing he wants you to understand is who you are in Christ. 
and understand that you are beloved, you are accepted, you are forgiven, you are righteous, you are holy, you are, you are God's. You're a child of God. You're God's. And then he goes at the end of chapter 1, he says, I just pray, I pray for you that you would understand and know that you would, that you would know that you would know the fullness of Christ and also that you would, you would know the great power that is yours in Christ, that he's been elevated, you've been elevated with him, raised with him above every principality, power, and authority. Oh, that you would know that and understand. Understand who you are. Understand your position in Christ. And understand that you've been freed from, the, in chapter 2, the dominion and rule and power of the evil one. And you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. If you got that, and you lived in that, you truly wouldn't, you know, you would find that, look at the armor. You know what he tells you to put on? Here's the similarity. He says, tells him to put on the belt of truth. Truth of what? The truth of who you are. Here's the truth. The truth is who you are in Christ. That's what's true. Not your feelings, not what you're thinking, but what's true is that you're in Christ, that's true. The breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, understand that you are righteous, no matter what accusation, error, or dart comes at you, it should go bing, and understand, no, 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 no matter how unrighteous you claim that I am by what I've did, I'm in Christ. And my sins have been paid for. Now, by his accusations against you and your righteousness in Christ, what he's doing, he's trying to make little of Jesus and what he's done and make a big deal out of your sins. And they are a big deal. But Jesus' sacrifice is even a bigger deal. And you're in Christ. The helmet of salvation, put it on. Know that you are saved. Know that you have salvation. And how? In Christ. Not in myself, not by myself, but in Christ. Your feet shod with the gospel of peace. Understand and know the good news that you are in Christ. Every bit of this armor, you know what? It's the armor of God. It's not your armor. It's the armor of God. The truth, the righteousness, the salvation, the gospel. Stand firm in it. And above all, take the shield of faith. And what he's saying is, above all, believe and hold fast to the truths of all that I'm talking about. Understand who you are in Christ. That in Christ... In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you're a child of God. In Christ, you're beloved. In Christ, he delights in you. In Christ, you have all that you need. Everything. I'm telling you what, if you understand who you are in Christ and are convinced in it, and you stand firm in it by faith, all the schemes and the wiles and the tricks that he's going to throw at you will go bing, bing, bing. But if you start to doubt who you are in Christ and you start to believe the lies, he has got you. If you sit here this morning and you wonder and doubt your salvation, your acceptance before God, he has got you looking at yourself, not at Jesus. He has got you. He's wily, craftily made you say and think things and put things into your mind that are just out flat out lies. I'll tell you a lie. A fundamental lie is that if you are in Christ, that somehow God does not accept you. Lie from the pit of hell. Lie. Call it what it is. That's a lie. The truth is I'm in Christ and I'm accepted in Christ. That's the truth. If you sit here this morning and think that God couldn't forgive you because your sins are too great, lie from the pit of hell. 
lie. The truth is, no, in Christ, all my sins are forgiven, more than paid for. And if you don't stand firm in that truth and that understanding of who you are in Christ and rest there and find your joy and peace there, you're in trouble. The, The enemy will have a heyday with you. And you'll be sitting here groveling, wondering how it is that God could accept you, could love you, after all that you've done. But I tell you what, you're in Christ and you're aware of his schemes. You can sing and you can be joyful and you can be glad because you know who you are in Christ. And that is the truth, not the lies he's trying to feed you. Our war cry has been masterfully composed in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress. There's a particular line there I love. And it reads, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. just as we saw here in the passage. One little word. You are children of the king, delivered from Satan and his demons. You're in Christ. For all of you who are in Christ, you have nothing to fear, but everything to give thanks for. Rejoice and give thanks if you're in Christ. Because of what he's done for you. No one thing else. Here's, here's the other thing. Not just enjoy it yourself, but know that the whole world up there can be free. Can know the freedom, can know the goodness, can know the joy, can know the, can, can know the greatness of being in Christ. He's come to set the captives free. And even today, captives are being set free. Live in that joy, express that joy, and spread that joy throughout the world. Amen. Father, we're so grateful and thankful that Jesus is Lord and the demons tremble at his presence, jump at his word, and they know emphatically that he is Lord and they're in trouble. We're so grateful that you've delivered us from his rule and power and that we are in Christ and in him we're accepted, in him we're forgiven, in him we are yours. Blessed be your name, for you are so good. Amen.